Hello, welcome to the ACH podcast. I'm Sheepdog, and on today's episode, I've got Kevin Chapman. Say hello, Kev. Hello. Hello. I didn't know whether to introduce you as Kevin Chapman, Lelujo. I've known you a long time. I was fascinated to hear you introducing yourself as Sheepdog in a professional capacity. Yeah, it's it's been a decision, especially with absolute strangers that I've met through the podcast and introduced them to me as, as Richard Bass, and then I went with Sheepdog. I don't know what I'm doing with this, really. But for the listeners' benefit, uh, Kevin is a, a longtime friend of mine. I've podcasted with him for, what, over a decade? And uh, he's also autistic. He's agreed to come on the podcast and talk about his career. So tell us what you do, Kevin, in your own words, because I get it wrong every time. I'm a YouTuber. I don't like to make it any fancier than that. You always try and make it sound like there's... Uh thought and care that's got into it but i just make silly youtube videos and stream on twitch and it's not any fancier than that i mean i think it is because you also do a lot of other things but i think that's just part of you being you is you have but none of those other things make me any money i make all (laughs) my money making youtube videos and that allows me to spend time doing the other things that don't make me any money that's fair actually the other things i think they're called hobbies i think that's what the layman calls them no that's that makes sense in my head you're like this this jack of all trades that does a bit of everything and can just spin a yarn out of a project and it maybe adds a little bit into the pot or whatever but it's uh no i get what you're saying it's mainly youtube so i i know a bit you know obviously the listener doesn't know your past as well as uh i do but lots of people have probably heard it over the years on the internet because you're you're, you're very vocal about yourself and what you've done in your history but where did you start out what, what was your first sort of job like how did you start in a, uh, the job market how far back do you want me to go are we going all the way back to paper round here or are we where, where are we picking up this story i mean i know that one of your first jobs was in a shoe shop. Like, so I'm guessing you're at college. I've worked. I've worked in multiple shoe shops. Yeah, I've. I've. I worked in um, what is now Sports Direct, but back then was just Sports Soccer. I worked there for a bit. Before that, I worked in the co-op. Both the, the co-op one, I lasted like three months, but that wasn't cool enough for me. So I then went to the sports shop because I thought I could get loads of cool trainers cheap. Um, <laughs> but I only lasted there about three months. I mean. If I'd have known anything at all about, I'm ruining your ruining order immediately. Because if I'd have known anything at all about even what autism was back then, career-wise, my first sign was probably the way I left that job at the sports shop because the last bus back home on a Sunday left at about four thirty, I think, and my shift finished at four, but they wouldn't let anybody leave until the shop floor was clear and all the t-shirts were folded and the shoes were all put away nicely so it got to 4 15 and i'm like i need to leave and go and catch my bus and the manager was like well you're not leaving and i said well i am because i've got to go and catch my bus and then there was literally no give at all on either side <laughs> and i just kind of stood there looking at him going well goodbye <laughs> i yeah i am gonna go and he said well if you leave you're not coming back i guess i'm not coming back then because i've got to catch my bus so um yeah, I just went and got on the bus and left. And uh, that's how I ended up at the other shoe shop. Yeah, I feel like that is a common thing with a few people I've spoken to about their jobs have said to me there's been a point in their careers where they were almost like an immovable object or they just didn't understand. And I have been in that exact position of lunches are half an hour now. Well, no, they're not because I signed a piece of paper that said mine was an hour. So I'll see you in an hour. And, you know, why are you doing this shelf? Because this is my job. I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, it was always me, the one who'd be going, well, no, you don't just randomly change what I do. I've been coming here for six months. I do this. Or it says here I finish at this time. So goodbye, sir. And I feel like, yeah, that's a red flag for everyone. And I feel like employers maybe 
these days could be better at going, okay, you were a little bit rigid there. Maybe you need to check into this. If, been a bit, you know, if he'd have known, if he'd have had a bit of understanding, you might have said, okay, maybe I'm not dealing with a neurotypical person here. Maybe the reason you're not getting it is because there's more to it than that. But I mean, as much as I don't want to defend the sports shop manager from 1998, I was an entirely disposable 16-year-old yeah, at the time as well. Yeah, so right. he could not care less. Oh, well, that one's gone. The new one starts tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, we. I worked there three months and I was one of the longest serving people there, I imagine, wow. by the time I left. So, you know, it's it was very much one of those that everyone gets scared off eventually but I feel like you've followed the uh the 90s pattern of of you know I, I don't think it happens as much now at least around here it doesn't but when i grew up it was very much you go and you work in various shops just to make money while you're waiting to figure out uni college whatever it is you're doing and then you go and you find your career everyone i know worked in like morrison's and boots and all these different shops and so did you have a plan then were you thinking when i finish college i'm gonna go and i'm gonna do x or were you just getting jobs to get money i had multiple plans at multiple times so when i went i ended up after the sports shop working at clark's shoe shop uh which i really enjoyed that job i ended up working there for like two years and i was at, in sixth form at the time and my plan probably up until about six months before the end of sixth form was i was going to go to uni i had a place at uni ready to go in another world i went to the london school of economics in 2000 and went on to become a, a management accountant and, and was probably a really really boring version of myself but i got so into <laughs> this this is sad i got so into selling shoes and handbags that instead i enrolled in the clark's management program and decided i was going to make a career out of just selling shoes because i enjoyed doing it so I ended up deferring uni for a year with the plan that I was going to go and do the, the Clark's management program, but instead knocked my girlfriend up, married her, and ended up having to go and get a real job instead because I needed immediate money at the time. But the plan was very much I was going to be selling shoes. I love shoes. Shoes are great. This is why I'm so weird about shoes even now, and I have far too many. Do you know... it? It's an interesting thing. I mean, this is going to be quite entertaining again uh, when I say it out loud, I think. But I have known you a long time and I knew you worked in Clark's, but I have only known about your shoe interest maybe a year at most <laughs> because you've suddenly got into all these fancy trainers. Because I've suddenly got money to be able to buy the trainers. I never knew, you know, Kevin always used to wear the same. I mean, you wore some of those fancy Even then, I would always but, wear like mm. Converse. Yeah, I'd wear my Converse Chuck Taylors. I had my Vans. I've always been into shoes. But it's always been the cheaper shoes, the ones that I could afford, the canvassy ones. It's only in the last probably two years that I've been able to go out and get the Jordans. Yeah, and you're suddenly the, wearing the, these fancy ones. Yeah. You, you can't walk for a puddle because you don't want to wreck your fancy shoes. Absolutely <laughs> not. Yeah, I, was, I put a new pair of shoes on today and walked, walked across gravel. We pulled into a gravel driveway and I was like, I, I really don't want to get out of the car. I'm wearing brand new trainers. I can't walk across this gravel. I'm going to scuff my shoes. My word. You, you now buy it. You get through a lot of them. But if you'd have, st if you'd have stuck the Clark's route, you could have probably got a discount on all of these. I don't know they sell Jordans. At yeah, Clark's, I, used to, but... I used to get a 75% discount on my work ones and 25% off everything else. Yeah, it wasn't trainers, but I was all I was all about the Wallabies back in 1999. <laughs> I have no idea what a Wallaby is, but I'll let Clark's, you... Clark's, uh... anyone who's into Clark's shoes, it's their, it's their classic shoe. Everyone knows. Anyone who knows shoes knows the Wallaby. So... Once the university plan kind of took a back... I mean, I kind of know half the answer to this because we met at university, but 
did you have a, have a new plan? You obviously, as you said, you, you, uh, your partner was pregnant, you had a child, you, you, I know you went into finance at some point along the way there, mortgages, that kind of thing, but was that just bumbling between different jobs? Yeah. Offices? I mean, the plan was very much just trying to make as much money as quickly as possible because I had suddenly had a wife and a kid at 19 years old, which I wasn't anticipating when I had the previous plan. So taking my time doing management training and, doing it the right way going to uni all that went out the window and it was just find the job that can make me the most money as quickly as possible so i ended up working in a building society um started as a cashier at a building society on a hideously low amount of money but pretty soon just started putting my name forward for everything volunteering for everything started being the guy who sat on the little customer service desk at the front of the shop then i got then i progressed back to the office in the same shop where I could do the mortgages. They put me through my mortgage advisor training. At the same time, I was paying to put myself through my financial advisor qualifications. Um, youngest person in the history of the company to get those, by the way. Um, and <laughs> nice. so by the time I was like 20, I was a fully qualified financial advisor, mortgage advisor, and um, yeah, ready to move on from them and just kind of jumped around in different jobs doing that for a few years. I drove down to Hatfield every day for a year uh, just because they offered me slightly more selling mortgages for them rather than selling mortgages for the people I was working for before. I ended up driving over to Bristol uh, to sell mortgages to the people who sell mortgages. I tried starting my own business doing all that and basically bumbled around in finance. I say bumbled around. Did did lots of jobs for not very long because I would get bored of them and moved on, um, but always trying to maximise the amount of money I was making until the financial crisis hit in 2007. and And that was when... I needed a new plan because uh, up until then, it just all been about generating as much cash as possible. I think at that point, I mean, again, I know I, I met you at university at this point. We both did a, a computing course at a local uni because it was convenient. You had two kids at that point. I just had my first child. It was one of those things where I know that in my life, I'd very much bumbled around in, in insurance jobs, you know, similar sort of pattern. I'd left all these retail random jobs. I'd gone and got a job in insurance. I'd literally was looking for the same maximum money possible. I had responsibilities, same process kind of thing. And when we met, it was like, a, yeah, I'm just here to get the best grade I can three years, then I'm off and I'm going to go do other things. Did you have any kind of plan when you applied for that course? Were you thinking I'll get into this and this will be my new springboard. I'm sure I've told, I may have told you this before. I might not have done, but when I applied for that uni, because uh, when you fill in your UCAS application form, um, you can have up to six options on it. Now, because I had my kids, uh, I didn't have the option of six different unis. So I just put six different courses at the same uni. So it is purely by the process of that course being the one that got back to me first. That's the only reason I ended up doing the computing one. So, if, it, if it had been one of the other six, I, would, I just literally accepted the first one that got back to me. I didn't care what I was going to do. The job I was doing had been taken away by the financial crisis. And being really honest about it, I saw being able to bring in some student finance money as a route to get some money. And it wasn't even trying to get the degree that was the end goal. It was more a case of that student finance and the grants and the stuff I can get from this is preferable to go in on benefits. It will cover my bills. and. I'll worry about what to do with it when I'm done, but I get three years of covering my bills with loans and and student finance, and I'll get a qualification at the end of it. I feel weird with this because <clears throat> I, I knew I knew you'd been a bit indifferent about what you ended up doing, 
I didn't realize how identical our situations were <laughs> in that I had, I was chatting to my sister about how I was sick of the job I was doing. I was sick of the situation I was in. And she was like, go get a degree. You'll figure it out while you're there. And then what made me think this sounds great is realizing that because I had children, because I was married, because I was in the situation I was in, I could pay my bills for three years and do it. Oh, and it yeah. would work. I don't know if it's still the case now, but the amount of money we used to be able to clear just from going to uni, neither of us needed to have a job during the three yeah. years we were doing those degrees. We were in two days a week and I was, I mean, I wasn't earning anywhere near as much as I was earning, as earning when I had a real job, but mm. both me and my wife at the time did this at the same time. We both went in, we because both they cover child claimed care in well. all the, Everything's yeah, covered. they covered everything. So yeah. we were, we were actually living relatively comfortably. So I did the same thing as you in that I applied for four courses that sounded interesting to me. So computing, because I was into computers, history, because I was ancient history, because I was into ancient history, nursing, because I tried to do that when I was younger. And I just thought maybe I should go back to that. And I can't even remember what the fourth one was. Such was my determination to do it. But I guess that our people who ran the course we did must have just been really quick at responding to applicants because we both just happened to get picked there first. Well, not only that, but I'm still waiting for the other five to get back to me. I don't yeah. know if I don't know if the guy who ran, ran the course we were doing was just in charge of everything, was like, I'm having them, you lot, back off. Or if I'm going to get a letter in the post one day inviting me to go and do accounting. But... Yeah, I've not heard back from the others, and this was in 2009, was it? Yeah, that was the year we started it, so I guess it was eight or nine that we'd have done the letters. But um, I feel like even in that course, we we just found we were good at whatever we were interested in, and it just rolled from there. I mean, again, that's a real sign of, of uh, us. We should have realised we were autistic then. A, we met each other and got on really well, but B, if we were interested in it, we I mean, we described it. each other as broken-brained throughout our time at university. Neither of us had any idea how, how close yeah. <laughs> to the truth we were with that, but no. because we thought differently and acted differently to everyone else there, we would just like laugh and joke and say, yeah, we've got broken brains. Yeah, people because did think we were we were the ones taking it seriously. Uh, it was weird because we were taking it seriously, but everyone felt like we weren't. It was kind of like, you guys need to stop laughing around and acting like this isn't a big deal. And we'd be going... Get well, back it's... to me when we've not got the best grades. Yeah, it's like, it's the biggest <laughs> deal. <laughs> we're literally treating it like we want to smash it and we want to get everything right. Oh, yeah, I went in on the first day and told the guy running the course that I need if he didn't give me a first, I was going to burn the university down. I still don't... <laughs> I still don't know if I was joking or not. We didn't have to find out. I was quite open about that with him. Yeah, exactly. So um, I feel like uni was good for us. A lot of people knew. Not everyone has the perfect routine there, but there wasn't anything that really affected us at that point. What I was going to ask you was, do you feel like being autistic had affected any of your choices along the way? Because I feel like the biggest choices for you that affected you had been the external financial crisis, the you know, having a child, that kind of thing, and that you were problem-solving effectively. But was there anything you feel like autism had affected you in up to this point? I think it was just being able to take a step back and look at everything logically and just do what was logically and sensibly the correct thing to do. I think there are a lot of people who would have got to that stage in 2007, 2008, and the idea, they wouldn't have even thought of doing what I did as a possibility, whereas I carefully look through all of the different options i would have a spreadsheet that would show me how much money would be coming in on every option so i looked into what i could earn i mean i was work. i had i had to work selling car insurance by this point because there were no jobs left doing what i was doing before so i'd have one column for the car insurance job one column for going on benefits one column for going to university i imagine there were probably other columns as well i don't remember what they were now but i there was no 
I genuinely didn't care which column was the one that came up right. I just was going to go with whichever column Works. worked. Yeah. I feel like, so, uh, yeah, yeah, you're, not, you're not married to an idea. A, I'm, yeah, I'm going to look at the numbers and I'm going to go with whichever one is the one that works and just didn't care. So I think that a would the ability to be just completely detached from it. I didn't care what other people thought of me. I mean, I was 27 when I went to university. What I haven't said is six months before, I just jacked in the job I was doing so I didn't enjoy it. So I'd had six months of being unemployed before I went to university because I just, again, similar to how I left the shoe shop, just had a row with the guy running the car insurance place. Of I, I didn't want to do it the way he wanted me to do it. I felt like I was right. He, as the man who runs the business, felt like he was right. <laughs> uh, I'm terrible at being managed. Yeah, I, I and really... uh, yeah, I just walked out. I am. Um, yeah, I was done. I feel like so people talk about the autistic sense of justice and the uh, fight. I feel and and the logical problem solving side of things. And I feel like for you, you don't really get the the burn knowing you, you don't get the burning justice of fighting a cause online passionately. That you, well, you do. But what I mean is, you don't get. I get roped into things left and right on social media because I'm annoyed about the injustice of it all. But you get your injustice in a different way of just. You may believe that, and you may be the manager, but I know this isn't right, and this is my feeling. Oh yeah, it. I I was right. He was wrong. Mm. I still maintain to this day my way was right, and he's the one who's gone out of business. And <laughs> you know, yeah, he was right in the end. And also, <laughs> not letting stuff get in the way of you figuring out the solution to a problem. They're both things. I mean, you talk about that with the, with the job in six months before. I realized because I was going to university, if I left my job at the time, I was going to owe them for the patern the yeah the paternity leave I'd taken, the holiday I'd taken. I'd been off sick at one point or another. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd worked all right between that. I wasn't a complete nightmare employee, but I realized I'd owe them money, and if I got sacked, I wouldn't. So I just stopped working for a few weeks until they let me go. And that was my way of solving the problem. And everyone I spoke to at the time was like, what on earth are you thinking? And I'm like, well, I'm thinking this has just saved me about two and a half grand. <laughs> You're thinking you can't do that. And, and, and no one understood my logic. No one. And I feel like we do see, see a logic in things that isn't hung on that emotion. And you've shown a lot of examples there where you're just, you've just weighed it up and you've gone, well, this is the best solution. And I, I definitely feel like, yeah, yeah I whereas I think that. a lot of uh, a lot of neurotypical people would be would feel the stigma of being unemployed or mm. going back to university and relying on grants and loans and stuff like that as a I mean and there were benefits as well things like tax credits to help cover um, all the childcare stuff bearing in mind at the time I was married with two kids and yeah I didn't feel any of that stigma at all it just seemed like the most logical thing to do and especially when you weighed in the fact it was only two days a week so i had five days a week to do whatever i wanted mm. and that whole eye-opening experience of okay i don't need to work my fingers to the bone five six days a week the way i was because when you're a financial advisor especially working in a state agency like i did for a couple of years they expect you to be in at eight o'clock in the morning whether you've got appointments or not i always argued with that i still think that's stupid but at the same time, they'd expect you to stay until six o'clock when the shop closed um, every single day. And if if they had someone who wanted to buy a house who could only get in at seven o'clock in the evening, they'd expect you to do that. They'd expect you to be in on Saturdays. I was working stupidly long hours and kind of assumed, okay, I guess this is just the way that it is because 
this is how it's always been at the same time thinking this is stupid this is illogical yeah this doesn't um, make any sense sort of thing. seeing that i could then do those three years of working two days a week so how do i, I never ne- i yeah. never really looked back mm, <laughs> from yeah. that moment on i knew i was gonna i needed to do something that allowed me to set my own schedule and work as much or as little as i wanted to work ironically though and i was about to say so you got to your current position and then i thought hang on a minute there's a big gap there and and it's interesting to talk about this with you because again i I didn't realize quite how similar they were but i know once we ended up by by a chance at the same uni we also independently came up with the exact same next step from uni and that was to train to become teachers which because it was a logical next step because Mm. at the time to, as a computing teacher, there was a bursary of was it a nine grand or a twelve grand bursary? I forget what it was. I remember we I were it, more as trainee teachers than we were as qualified teachers. Yeah, for the I first think year. we got a twelve grand tax free bursary, so a thousand pounds a month tax free, which didn't affect the amount of student finance we could get, and it also didn't affect benefits like t- tax mm. credits or anything yeah. like that. It was just a magical thousand pounds a month that we weren't taxed on that also didn't reduce anything else we were getting. So. Yeah, we were we, uh, that go, going and doing that teacher training for a year put us probably on the equivalent of 30, 35 yeah, grand it was a year. Like the most I'd been I'd to go ever and, earned. Yeah, it was mad. <laughs> and, so it was yeah. just, as soon as I realized that, it was like, okay, and I get summers off because by that point I'd got divorced. So I had my kids with me half the time. So being available during the school holidays had suddenly become important because I couldn't go back to that five, six day a week. 48 week a year grind because kids have 12 weeks off a year on holiday so i needed a job where i could be off in the school holidays and the idea of being able to do a job where i was always off in the holidays because i was the school uh, plus being able to earn all that money for the training year just seemed like a no-brainer so it was pretty easy to kind of fall into that and i feel like yeah and then straight into the teaching job after it you so i i was very i got into that teaching and very quickly found that it was very life consuming and similar to what you said before about doing those extremely long days and staying as late as anyone wanted and being really really roped into like if you arrive at seven and you leave at seven that's fine because we're teachers and that's what we want to do that that was the mentality of the job and i had young kids i had another young kid at this point so two of my three kids to be born at this point and i just felt like it was consuming too much of my time whereas you managed to stick with your rigid not rigid that's the wrong word well, yeah but because i because i'd rules. lived through it before and i knew i wasn't going back to that just right from the start i was never going to let that happen mm. so from the beginning i always had a rule throughout the teacher training year throughout the pgs the, throughout their whatever it is the NQT, next year yeah. where you uh, yeah the nqt year where you're a newly qualified teacher and all through my career i made it to head of faculty and maintained this rule all the way through the only place that i did teaching work was at school. I never once brought work home with me. I never in my life have sat in my house and written a lesson plan or anything along or marked a book or even brought a book home. I just, from the word go, I knew I wasn't going to be willing to do that. So sometimes it would involve me going in a little bit early. So if I had to be in at 7, 7.30 in the morning to get stuff done before school, that's fine. If I had to stay a little bit later, that's fine. But what I actually found is more often than not, I'd be walking out there to my car at half three, quarter to four, and coming in the next day at normal time, and all the other teachers would have no idea how I was doing it. And 
the amount the amount of times I've told the story of teachers. I just don't understand teachers because I would walk into the uh, walk into the staff room and the amount of teachers who'd be sat around drinking coffee, chatting to each other about how busy they were. And it just baffled me that, well, if you're so busy, why are you sat in the chat staff room chatting about it? Why don't you go and get on with your work? I wouldn't sit, I'm not going to waste my time sat there chatting to you nerds. I'm going to go mm-hmm. off and just do my work, get it done and go home. So yeah. that's what I did. See, I'm quite a chatty day. person. So I used to go into the computer room to try and get work done. And I felt like I would get work done, but I would also be involved in the the hubbub of chatting and people talking to me and stuff. And I felt like we were at different places in terms of my place wouldn't let you work in your classroom on, on non, like if you were teaching a class, you couldn't do other work. You had to teach the class, which I know makes sense on paper, but when they're doing a test or they're sitting doing something, you're not allowed to sit and do marking. You've got to walk around and just look like you're watching it. There was a lot of performance stuff at my place. Um, But I very quickly left that and went and worked in business, whereas you sort of somehow had enough spare time that you started doing other things and experimenting and realizing, I think you had the headspace, the comfort of knowing what you you were doing wasn't what you wanted to do. You just did it, like you say, because of diversity and the good year. But at this point, what what happened that made you suddenly think, all right, you know, I'm, I don't want to do this. I want to go and do my uh, my next step. Literally having the time, having the spare time, and any teachers listening will be fuming, I imagine. But <laughs> how do I phrase this? It doesn't make them really cross. I thought teaching was probably the easiest job I've ever had. I would work from eight in the morning until like half three, four o'clock, five days a week, never have to do anything any later than that. Bear in mind, I'd come from a world where I was used to working six days a week, well into the evenings. And I didn't have to do it. And I got a quarter of the year off on holiday. I mean, 13 weeks holiday a year, 12 weeks holiday, whatever it is. I had so much free time. I just had to fill it with stuff. I reckon that if I was thinking about it considering what we've already spoken about here and what i mentioned about the pantomime stuff that used to happen at the school i worked at i do think there are a lot of people who feel like they need to keep up appearances which then knocks the next people to keep up appearances and everybody in there's performing this grind because all of your promotions and all of your outcomes depend on you performing this grind and you've gone into that situation not wanting to embrace anyone's nonsense you're just going in i'm gonna i don't need to do any work out of it. i'm gonna do it here i'm very much i look at the scenario around me and i go right need to fit in need to become teacher sheepdog and just act like all the other teachers do and then i think i got very bogged down in that oh i have to sound like i'm busy i have to be busy I ha- if i don't spend the weekend working on this everyone's gonna think i'm a fraud whereas you were just like see you later losers <laughs> and maybe that's well, yeah the i mean i got i got called into a meeting with the head of faculty like two weeks into my first teaching job and bearing in mind they'd already given me one promotion by this point but um (laughs) and they called me in and they were like you've got to change the way you're doing email because you're upsetting the other teachers i'm like what on earth do you what do you mean i'm upsetting the other (laughs) teachers you're you're too you're too direct you're too matter of fact you don't say hi how are you you don't say thank you and i'm like yeah because i've spent eight years working in a fast-paced business the purpose of email is that it's quicker than a phone call or quicker than an in-person meeting it's a digital equivalent of a post-it note 
it's supposed to be quick and direct. And they're like, yeah, they, you're, people think you're God. really rude. You're really upsetting <laughs> everybody. And my response to that was setting up an autoresponder on my email that said, word, and this was pretty much taken out of the four hour work week from Tim Ferriss. I almost copied it word for word. It was something on the lines of, due to a heavy workload, I'm now only responding to emails once per day at 3.30. If you need me more urgently than that, come and find me in my classroom or words to that effect. That would be the internal version of it. I had an external version of it as well that included the phone number of the school reception. And I just literally stopped using email. I would check into it once a day and reply then. And very soon people stopped emailing me altogether. Um, but yeah, I wasn't going to mess around and pussyfoot around these teachers who have never lived in the real world and oh, it was it was it was bizarre but yeah i wasn't i wasn't gonna do it i and I, I would just there would be forever examples of that of doing things differently the the amount of marking they would expect us to do my solution to that was create an automated marking system that they still use in the school i used to work in now where literally it would be it was called mail merge marking magic where I would import all of the class lists directly from the class list software that would go straight into a spreadsheet. And I would then go through the work, select from select a grade from the dropdown lists that I'd created, select feedback from the feedback options that I'd already populated in advance because I knew the feedback I'd be giving for that particular piece of work. There'd be like 10 options and then just hit mail merge. And then at the start of the lessons, just hand them out and get them to stick them into their own folders or their own books. So my marking a class of work was 15 minutes, whereas everyone else is marking a class of work might be three hours. And yeah, it, I just spent my, I was only a teacher for four years, but I spent that entire four years coming up with ways to <laughs> minimize. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just to, yeah, just yeah. to do things. To I mean, yeah, people, I genuinely, I firmly believe there's no one thinking outside of the box in teaching. Certainly not that I came across during my four years. People were doing things the way they're doing things because that's the way things are already always been done. So it must be the right way. And I just went in with a completely blank slate. No, I'm going to do it. I'm going to find a better way. Every, yeah. Everything you do, I'm going to find a better way to do it. I feel and like... that's why I got promoted as quickly as I did. Yeah, because you stood out. You... I was getting the results as well. It wasn't that I was doing this and the, everything was crumbling around without me. I was doing these things and they were effective. So my results were better than everybody else's. Um, and like I say, within, I got my first promotion like a month, two weeks, a month after starting there. Um, I was second in department by the end of my NQT year. I left there to become a head of department at a different school. And by the time I left there, I was the head of faculty. And that was four, that was four years worth of career progression. Nice. Um, and I I'd kind of completed teaching by the time I left. <laughs> but the reason I was next. doing the other stuff is because I had so much spare time because mm. I was doing it my way. So um, we spent a year where me and you would write, I think we wrote like 800,000 words together over the course of a year to um, wrote like eight books. And yeah, I mean, I do think about, oh, I worked so hard as a teacher, but yeah, we did really say books while I was doing it. So even yeah. even my experience of it wasn't normal. Um, I'd forgotten that, actually. that's I need to update my memories of that job because I'm saying to people, oh, I didn't, I, I, I what I was going to say is you don't, I don't think you mask and I, I mask quite a lot. 
in different scenarios. I don't so much around you, which is why I think I've got this ridiculous, chaotic personality known as Sheepdog from associating with you. But with other people, when I'm at work, I'm like, I was, you know, Mr. Bass at teaching. And some people would see me a bit more myself. But in my memories of that, I spent the whole time being Mr. Bass and being really like downbeat and unhappy and, and, and stressed and tired while you were being like the loser the whole time, <laughs> just doing what you wanted. And I think the difference is you just, you just don't mask. You just go in yourself. Yeah, because I just don't care what yeah. other people think. And it's perfect. That, I, it's helped me. I mean, it helps and hinders for so, everything that I do. I feel like, not not to jump too far ahead, but that is something I feel like is advantageous for you being autistic and not worrying about this or not even necessarily worrying about it, but just not perceiving it, not feeling that, look at him or there's probably plenty of people out there who are a bit like he's a bit odd or whatever. And I'm not saying that I think that or anyone does, but there must be people out there who are a bit like, what's he oh, like? I, but- I mean, bearing in mind what I do now, I read it every day. Yeah, there are people constantly telling me <laughs> all of these things that I do wrong or, or the reasons why I'm awful. And I still don't care. Oh, it's good. It's good. It's perfect. It means it's the right place to be to not have that. So let's get to the meat of it, because I imagine most people listening, I'm going to be putting YouTuber in the title. They're not going to be expecting a whole advice about becoming a teacher, which you've just given, and becoming a manager at Clark's, which you've just given. But, you know, you sat there, you're thinking, I'm a teacher. I've got all this free time. I want to have a bit, a bit of a laugh with YouTube. What made you think I'm going to go and make a job out of this and become where you oh, are Oh, the job side of it was completely accidental. I mean, it was it was never meant to be a job. It was just something that was fun. But because of how I throw myself 100% into everything that I do, it quickly became more than that. So I uploaded my first YouTube video in October 2015. And I've, since that date, I'm still averaging more than one a day seven eight wow, years later cracking. whatever it is <laughs> uh, i think i think the average across my channels is like 1.3 videos a day since that first video was released so i mean i didn't ease myself into it slowly from day one it was daily con it was daily content i did my first twitch stream that weekend you know i went straight into and i i obsessively research and become an expert in everything that i'm doing so by the time i released my first youtube video I knew how to be a YouTuber. Um, obviously, I've learned a lot more along the way, but yeah, I uh, I just thought if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it properly. So I'm going to get all the gear <laughs> and I'm going to spend far too much money, which is the story of everything I do. I'm going to buy all the most expensive stuff, the best quality stuff I can buy, and I'm going to become an expert in it. I'm going to do all the courses, read all the books, watch all the YouTube videos, and I'm just going to smash it two comments on that for anyone who's wondering first off, don't do that yeah well, don't do that that's stupid <laughs> that's is comment number one i was gonna get to that well i was gonna say uh kevin has checked whether he's got adhd and he hasn't <laughs> apparently so <laughs> this 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 is one of those things where i see people talk about if you if you have adhd you probably do this and they're always basically kev in the videos but he has checked and found no um so but the dump jumping headfirst in and learning everything about it and becoming mr obsessed with the whole project what i was going to ask you the second thing was have you found any challenges of that from burning out because like for me personally i struggle to do one a week at the moment and other things and i know that's because i'm i've not got a job relying on it i've not got but i feel like i'm not going to get to that point ever in life because i've i just find it too much of a 
People keep telling me that I'm going to burn out, but I've made, because I'm going on holiday, as we record this, I'm about to go on holiday. So I had to get two weeks ahead on my videos. So I think I've made in the last six or seven days, something like 23 YouTube videos. Um, and I'm fine. <laughs> it's, yeah, I think I, because I make my videos about Football Manager and I've obsessively played that for nearly 30 years, if I was going to burn out on Football Manager, I was going to burn out on Football Manager 28 years ago. So the fact that I haven't would indicate that it's probably my special interest and I'm probably not going to burn out on it and I'm probably just going to be able to keep going. And I, I keep, like I say, people keep warning me that it's going to happen and it hasn't yet. So I've been doing it for eight years and the longest I've ever had a job before this was two years. And I've not really had this holiday that I'm about to go on is the longest break I've ever had since starting YouTube. So the previous longest was 11 days for Christmas 2017. I had 11 days <laughs> off. Uh, now I'm having 16 days off. But I am going to be vlogging and editing those videos while I'm away. And I'm going to do a live stream while I'm away. And, you know, so although I'm kind of having time off, it's I've, I've made a deal with Anna. We've got 10 nights away in Tenerife. Um, and I've, my agreement is I'm only going to make six YouTube videos and one live stream while we're there. And that's me that's taking a holiday. That's, that's scaling <laughs> back as far as I can. Six videos and a live stream in 10 days. And I can tell you, burnout is not what I'm worried about. Boredom is what I'm worried about. Because oh, yeah. I, what do I, what do I do if I'm not making videos? So that's a thing because like, I'm thinking to myself, is there anything you do differently that means you don't burn out with this? But actually, I know that you, 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 you're doing what you enjoy. So you're doing your special interest, which means you've got like a, a, an endless pool of energy for it. Anyway, you are worried about getting bored with things, but also you somehow managed to fit in an inordinate, inordinate amount of gaming that isn't Football Manager. You play all of the longest possible games like Persona and all sorts of things like that, which you somehow fit in around this. And I'm just like, okay, this guy... You must just re-energize while playing these long games and then <laughs> go into football manager mode. I mean, I fit them in very sporadically. Like I've not played a game other than football manager for about six weeks at this point, probably. I think the last time I played anything that wasn't football manager was when me and you were sat on a plane back from Barcelona. Uh, so whenever that was, I was playing Fire Emblem on my Switch. Um, so that was back then. in <laughs> that that was back in February, I think, and we're recording this at the end of April. So um yeah it's been a long time since i've played a game but when i get like i imagine i'll get into a game next week when i'm on holiday and i've got like i mean i'm only taking the four jrpgs with me so you know, you'll get them days. all done i'll take oh yeah I'll, absolutely I've, do down, I've downloaded i think eight books to my kindle um and i've got four jrpgs packed in my suitcase already and i've got a couple of games that i've put on my steam deck and i'll get all of that done and then have to find something to do in the second week of my holiday. It's mad. I just feel like you've, there's so something in each of us where mine is just like, mine might be normal and I'm just comparing myself to yours, which is massively different and more wider and broader that it can handle all of this. But I can't. And I'm not trying to keep up with you. I'm just thinking, looking at that thinking, is this a, because I, I don't know how to advise people then. I'm like, look, if people want to follow. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it is difficult because people say, how do you get into doing what I how could someone do what I do? And I don't think they could, probably. And that's not meant to be arrogant. It's that I know how my brain works. And I can... Like, when I was... Because I started my YouTube channel whilst I was still a teacher. We've not really covered the fact. Mm. There was a big overlap. I left teaching in 2017. I started YouTube in 2015. So there was a two-year period 
where I was ahead of faculty in a school. I was releasing daily football manager videos on one channel. Um, at the uh, summer 2016, I started my vlog channel and I went daily on that 1st of January 2017. So throughout the last nine months, I was a teacher. I was doing the teaching. I was doing the daily football manager, the daily blog. I was streaming on Twitch three or four nights a week. And I signed up with two different exam boards for exam marking that summer as well. And <laughs> I did all of that. Yeah. And podcast. And it was fine. <laughs> yeah. And the podcast. And yeah. And, I, and it was fine. And I realize normal people can't do that. And I don't yeah. know why I can, and I don't know how long I'm going to be able to do it for. I'm very much make hay while the sun shines. I look back on it now and don't think I could do that now because I was surviving. I was going to bed at 2 a.m. and getting up at half five, six um, for two years. And I don't think I could do that now. I get, I'm very much a slave to my eight hours these days. But if I had to just flick a switch and turn it back on again because of circumstances, maybe I could. I don't yeah. know how long for. I, I didn't stop because I had to stop. I stopped because I didn't need to do it anymore. Yeah, no, it's an interesting one to think like, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'm, I'm busy in other ways and, and you are busy in other ways as well. You, The reason you probably don't do as much on them now is that other life things kind of come and go that, that take up your time. Um, so thinking about the end of teaching and the start of this job, I, I'm sort of, because I know that, I, I think the answer for some of the YouTube things is going to be quite obvious for how it accommodates your life, but... What did you do before that to accommodate your teaching life? I, I, I feel like just not bowing to their pressures was probably the answer. But how did, how did all of this get accommodated around your, your needs and your autism? And that because kind of I've always excelled at everything I've done, pretty much, like career-wise. Mm -hmm. um, I've never had the fear of upsetting people or losing my job or, you know, I've just always very much told my employer how i was going to do things and they either let me get on. the jobs i've really thrived out are the ones where they've gone look fair enough as long as you get the results we don't care um i can see that a bit the thinking, ones yeah it's the, the, the one the ones that i've struggled at and haven't lasted very long are the ones who are like well no you're going to do it our way and then we've clashed and i've usually walked out or been sacked so i've just always told my employers how i was going to do things and they either yeah. like it or they don't i was so gonna say i feel I like just... this is um for, for the listeners to, to translate this slightly and to show that it's not just kev doing a kevism suddenly while you're talking i was thinking to myself this is probably from i've I, it has benefited me seeing your route of doing things and your way of of living with authority in the years i've known you because when my job were like okay you know when I first arrived, it was very much do what I want, come in, be part of the team, help out. But when it became more of a business, there was very much of these are the rules. And I was very much no. And I had become quite, I felt difficult. I felt awkward, but they'd always push back a little bit. And then I would show them that I could succeed my way. And I feel like what you've made me just think there, what you were talking about was that if you know an accommodation is something that you need or there's something that they're trying to change that's going to make your job worse and you insist not doing it that way is the answer for you and you are allowed to do it, it does tend to, the proof is in the pudding. You even get, you even, you even, I've had jobs where it hasn't gone that way, I guess, and I've left, but actually I've been in my job for eight years and I think a lot of the success from that is because they've listened when I've said no. Like I am going to stay working from home after the pandemic. I am going to just focus on, they used to make people make phone calls. They wanted 70 phone calls a day. And I'd go, well, I'm going to make four 
if I happen to pick up the phone, but I'm not going to make phone calls otherwise because I'm too busy making money. And they'd hate that at first. And then they saw, actually, I made money. So they were like, okay, why are we bothering this guy? And I feel like, yeah, your message, or if, if I translate your message into advice is, Go with your gut because you know your accommodations and your limitations and what works for you and what doesn't. And conventional wisdom doesn't work for everybody, or at least not for me and you. So I'm guessing it's probably quite a common thing. People probably one of the at. I mean, one of the great mindset things for that kind of thing that helped me was again, I mean, Tim Ferris is basically my guru for all this kind of stuff. Um, but again, from the four hour work week, I forget what the exercise is called, but he has this exercise where basically whenever you're um trying to make a decision about work stuff you sit down with a piece of paper right if i do this thing what is the worst that can happen and list it write it down what is the worst thing that can happen and for each one of those worst things that can happen how long will it take me to or how will i recover from it how long will it take me to recover from it because i think a lot of people are controlled by their fear of losing their job um and it's a fear that i I've just always been programmed to not have. But like when I was deciding to give up teaching and do YouTube full time, I went through that process of, okay, what's the worst that can happen if I quit my job as a teacher and be a YouTuber? The worst that can happen is I make no money. What do I do about that? How long does it take to recover from? Well, I can probably get a new teaching job within like three months. So what's the, the worst case scenario is I've got to find three months worth of bills from somewhere. Well, I could put that on a credit card. Well, what's the worst thing that can happen then? Well, I just pay, I'm paying it off for six months. It's fine. And it just became this big fear that I had about, is it the right thing to do? Should I give up this good career that I've got to go and do this silly thing on the internet? The fear almost immediately went away because it, it actually wasn't as much of a big deal as I thought it was because even if the worst had happened, it was easily fixable. So for a lot of careers, I think a lot of people are a little bit too afraid of losing their job when it's expensive to hire people. They're probably not going to fire you anyway. And sometimes it's just a nice opening for the conversation. I mentioned before about the email autoresponder that I had. Um, one of the things that I brought up in that meeting was, well, just let me trial it for two weeks and let's see what happens. And it ended up fewer people getting upset by me because I wasn't replying to as many emails. People <laughs> found the autoresponder less upsetting than the way I was replying to emails. So it actually caused fewer people to moan about me. It managed expectations better. And it actually made the system that we were running more efficient because people knew how and when to find me. And I was being clear about when I was available and when I could help them. So just by saying, just uh, firstly, I've always been, a, it's easier to ask for forgiveness and permission. So I didn't ask if I could do the autoresponder. I just did it. When they said, can you turn that off, please? I said, can I just leave it on for two weeks? Let's see what happens. And they were like, okay, fair enough. You can leave it. Obviously a bit of back and forth. They let yeah. me leave it on for two oh, weeks. Really, yep. And then I went back to them with the evidence of, well, look, you were saying to, saying to me before, loads of people were complaining about me. Have you been getting those complaints the last two weeks? No. And then I was able to keep it on. So, yeah, you, it's, a lot of it is just trying to... And I know it's easier said than done because this is one of... Uh, one of my, I hate this phrase, but one of my autism superpower things, I guess, is I don't really have that fear and I don't care what people think of me and I don't... I've never really cared if I've lost a job because I knew I could just get another one or make money some other way. So I've always been able to just make my decisions based on what I think is the right thing to do. And if it turns out I was wrong, then I'll just deal with the consequences and do something else or figure it out. But I think a lot of people are a little bit controlled by the fear. And 
Yeah, I think you're right. It's run, just... run that exercise. What's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I f- yeah, I feel like that if people could take one thing at the moment, that is a big thing to take to just think that through. Um, so one thing I realized we haven't really addressed is that you, like me, did not know you were autistic until very recently. Like for you, it's what, two months now? <laughs> Three months? I mean, I've, I've, I've had my suspicions for 10 yeah, years, yeah. but I got my uh, I got my diagnosis officially earlier this year. Yeah, so... Um, do you think that you faced any kind of discrimination or barriers or problems along the way that you maybe didn't know was because you were autistic or is it that you just, like you say, you've never really been bothered by it? Do you... I don't, yeah, I don't think I've, I've I mean, it, it, like it's not been long enough for there to have been any discrimination or anything. You know, I work for myself. Who's going to, who's discriminating against me. <laughs> um, but I think there probably have been barriers because of how I am. Not necessarily, and at the time it wouldn't have necessarily been. I, w- I wouldn't have known it was an autism thing, but I mean, I've mentioned I've been sacked from several jobs. <laughs> I've walked out on several jobs. You know, there there are certainly situations where if I'd have understood myself a little bit better, or the people I was working for or with understood me a little bit better, maybe things could have gone differently, and maybe I wouldn't have job jumped quite so much during my 20s and you know even when i was teaching i i didn't stay at any school for more than two years i would always jump somewhere else yeah i felt like yeah that's been quite a common thing once i've built up a big enough enemies list then it's time (laughs) to move on do you feel like it's affected your so your career obviously on on youtube has been you've had a lot of people you've worked with and a lot of sponsorships and lots of interactions with companies and so forth do you think that that's had any impact along the way where maybe they didn't maybe they thought you were colder or standoffish or less involved than you should sponsorships and things i think it actually works really well i think sponsors generally love me because unlike most youtubers i hit deadlines and follow briefs to the letter (laughs) um and the amount of feedback i get about just being uh, so much easier to work with than most youtubers because i read the brief and then i meet the brief and i say i i've never been asked for revisions nice i get it right first time before deadline and it's just easy so that side of things i think i have a big advantage because i just do things you're sticking to to what they've asked for you're not you haven't got any perceived ideas in your head to bounce around and if if I don't want to do what they want me to do, I won't accept it in the first place. I've, I've never found myself in a situation where I've got part with him like, I don't really want to do this because I'll decide in advance. And I'm not afraid to say no. So I don't get myself into those situations where it might be one that I'm not that keen on doing. Um, but working with other creators, it, there's been huge problems over the years. I think I'm generally, I think less so now because I think there's been more of an effort from the speaking specifically about the football manager youtube videos which is my main bread and butter i think the game themselves have made more of an effort over the last couple of years to get creators working together talking to each other we had the football manager streamer showdown a few years ago that i was a part of that um i think that helped to break down some barriers that might have been there but i think certainly up until and probably still there's a little bit of this now but up until a year or two back I think I was generally pretty disliked in the football manager community and particularly in the football manager creator community uh, because I was seen as being the the money grabbing guy who doesn't not doing he's not doing it for the love of the game he's not doing it for the love of the creativity he's doing it cuz he just wants to make a few quid 
um because i would just do it like a metronome every single day four o'clock there's a video that comes out i do my stream when i say i'm going to do my stream and i was just relentless with it and now they get it now they know it was you just following almost like in a mechanical way of you had your routine you're four o'clock out get it out yeah and even with like creator events the first creator event i went i remember um probably a couple of years ago now talking to some of the other football manager folk football manager youtubers and them saying when we first met you at that first event years ago we thought you were really standoffish and it's only these last couple of events it's taken you like five events to start like chatting to us and hanging out with us a little bit and part of that is because i got to know them better but a big part of it which i've never explained to them so if they're listening to this hi um it's because they changed the way the events worked and previously we'd go to these events and they would allow us to make as many videos as we could while we were there and release them so i would go there and make 15 videos yeah, while they you, all chatted and played fifa and, and yeah just go whereas now it. they're like well you can make two videos so now i've got time to hang out with everybody else because if if you tell me i've got a weekend with a game that's not released yet and there's only 10 of us there who can do it and i'm immediately seeing this huge competitive advantage on youtube if i've got 15 videos on the unreleased game and everyone else has one or two well yeah, you can make why friends wouldn't after. <laughs> i do that yeah exactly i don't need i don't need friends but i'd like all the money that i'm gonna make <laughs> from having those videos so yeah i completely get why i was seen as a bit of a weirdo outsider um, but again it was just weighing up the logic of it uh, another example of me not caring what anyone thinks of me um and doing what is logically the best thing to do and in that situation logically the best thing to do was to get the work done it's also it like not, knowing there's not a yeah you know, if you've not done it before as well you go in with a plan in your head if it's your predetermined idea of what you're going to be doing you're not going to be pulled away from that by someone just wanting to sit and play fifa you know you're gonna be like no, no i've got work to do you know um, and i was awful because the guy next to me couldn't release any of his stuff because all he could hear was me talking the whole time <laughs> um because you know i was i was just i was like a machine all day both days i would just be making youtube videos and i think i'm the reason they've changed the way the events work because i ruined it for everybody but i got two three years of huge advantage over everyone else by doing it so i my channel wouldn't be where it is now if i hadn't have done that that gained me tens of thousands of subscribers having that competitive advantage nice um so i think the last few things to cover on this would be if you i mean I'm going to reword the question a little bit on this, but obviously there's lots of autistic people who want a job like this where they can talk about their interests, they can release content online like videos and podcasts and books and so forth. Um, what what would you say would be a good thing for them to start thinking about doing? How How do you think they can make that work for them in a way that will help them to, to you know, make a job of it, to, to try and get on with this? I mean, it's really difficult to give advice on getting into doing the job that I do because so much of it is being in the right place at the right time and getting a massive pile of luck. Like, if I hadn't have been invited to those events I was just talking about, I probably never would have been able to go full-time because I never would have got that competitive advantage, for example. Um, if I hadn't have had the right videos hit at the right time, it wouldn't have taken off the way that it did. If I'd have started two years later, I wouldn't have had the the quality. My my first YouTube video is one of the worst first YouTube videos anyone has ever made. 
It's not um, worse than my did, iPad did. one that you, where it's like Kev told me <laughs> if I don't record this as a video, he's going to you know brick my house. <laughs> it's me looking down at my is, iPad. It didn't matter. No, it doesn't because, matter, does it? But now it does. If I release that now, the quality, the barrier to entry is so much higher now. Um, so I don't. I I think you often hear on like businessy podcasts people talking about oh if you took if you took everything away from me now and I had to start again this is what I do um for me if I had my channel taken off me and all my kit taken off me and was told to start again I'd probably do something else because I don't think I could do this again now I don't think it's repeatable because I was just in the right place at the right time and would you say a different platform then like would is TikTok too late at this point for me yeah i i i don't know if you you've got a, you just have to kind of luck into the right trend at the right time and it wasn't that i hunted out that there was a gap in football manager and it was about to explode football manager is a game that i'd been playing every day for 20 years at the time when i started making content on it so again i was just lucky that it was the right game and there was no magic skill around finding the right niche and breaking into it in the right way and i know this isn't what people want to hear because they want to hear that it's something you can replicate and something there's a formula for doing and i don't think there is i think a lot of content creation is luck because if you really dig down into the into the depths of youtube and tiktok and twitch or wherever it might be you'll find thousands of really talented people who are making and creating things that appear as good as the the pros are doing and it's you look at them and like why is this why is this person streaming to just their mum why is why is this person got no twitter followers what are they doing wrong and the honest answer is they're probably not doing anything wrong they've just not had that little bit of luck yet and they might never get it um and i think most people if they studied a genre for a couple of weeks, paid attention to what worked and what didn't, I think most people could produce content that is as good as 90% of the content that's out there. Obviously, you get the odd outlier who's just incredibly talented. I'm definitely not one of those. Um, but unless you get that little bit of luck and that little bit of timing going your way, then you'll never get anywhere with it. And it's the worst thing to hear as someone who's trying to get into something like this, but and I don't want to come across all gatekeeper-y because I'm not no, saying, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to say, oh, I'm really, really good. You'll never be as good as me. <laughs> the honest answer is there's probably 50 people out there making YouTube videos as good as mine about Football Manager. Um, and they're not getting a fraction of the views that I get. And it's not their fault. Mm. not my fault it's just how it is and it won't change unless unless they're one of those incredible talents i think um if if people want to do it i mean the advice that i've always kind of stuck with because i'm not big on any of these things is just doing it because you enjoy doing it is fine if you just want to do it like I enjoy that's doing the key it, thing know? this is my favorite game and i love making videos and i love streaming so i've i, I, I this is probably the other thing i should emphasize and I think this is certainly in my genre of YouTube. I think this is the case for everybody who's ever gone full time. We would all be doing it if we weren't making any money because we all were. 
I did it for two years before I was able to do it as a job every single day because I love doing it. It was so much fun. If you love doing it, then it's fine for it to be your hobby forever. And if you one day accidentally start making money from it, great. Everybody I've ever seen try and get into it to make it a career has failed because it comes across in the content. People can tell. People know if you're doing it to try and do it as a job. And it turns off the audience. I think you just have to find your thing that you love doing. And you can't, because this is audio, you can't tell, but I'm so into this. I've instinctively started making eye contact with the camera while I'm doing <laughs> yeah, this. That's, how, that's how trained I am. I'm like, um, trying not to look into your eyes while you're talking. <laughs> I know. But um, yeah, it's you, if you love it, do it. And just keep doing it until you don't love it anymore. And if you fall out of love with it and it never got you anywhere, who cares? It was your hobby. If it starts making you money, great. I, I, I don't think what I do is a career necessarily. I think what I do is a hobby that at the moment is making me some money and it didn't used to. And there might come a day where it doesn't anymore, but I'll still be making the videos. Yeah, very good. Because it's because it's fun. Well, I do you know what I I, I appreciate this. I think it'd be really good help for people. I know a few people that I think will enjoy listening to that, and it'll make them feel a lot better about things they're doing. And it'll just yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff there for people to learn from. So thank you for that. Um, is there anything that you want people to check out? I mean, obviously it's worth telling people where they can watch your videos and and hear you and so forth. Well, yeah, I mean, almost to illustrate the point that I'm making, I am flogging the dead horse that is my vlog channel at the moment trying to get that back up and running it off the ground. I mean, if you've got an interest in football manager, by all means, watch that stuff. But loads of people watch that anyway. That's fine. Um, but my vlog channel, I've been trying to do travel vlogs on there for a while and no one's watching them. And I think they're good, but there's no way to I make people watch them. So, well, there you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if you, yeah, if you want to come and get a, a taste a better taste of what my life is like than watching football manager videos will give you um i think it's youtube.com slash kevin chapman so just type kevin chapman in you'll find you'll me up, yeah. and that'll bring you to my vlog channel and yeah let's get some more eyes on that because if i can if i can replicate this across multiple channels maybe i'll start to believe there's a trick to it and then i'll tell you what the trick is <laughs> but at the moment yeah i'm yeah it. i I had a vlog channel that was really successful when no one was watching the football manager and then they kind of flipped and I've never been able to get them both going at the same time. So if there is a trick to it and I figure it out, I promise I'll come back and tell you what the trick is. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'll leave it there. Thanks very much, Kev. I'm waving. I don't know why I'm waving. Bye-bye, <laughs> everyone. <laughs> <laughs>